Hello. You're listening to the Drawing the Ideal Self podcast for June 2022. I thought today's episode could be about the construction corollary and what it means. Might sound a bit of a dry subject, but actually it's at the heart of everything to do with PCP. And it's one of the easier things to understand, I think. When I first came across the word corollary, I actually had no idea how to define it and had to look it up. A corollary is an implication of a theory. So if Kelly's fundamental postulate is accepted, then the corollaries follow on from it and they elaborate that theory. So the fundamental postulate, which basically is, you know, setting out the theory uh, and saying everything it's built upon, is a person's processes are psychologically channelized by the ways in which he anticipates events. And the construction corollary is a person anticipates events by construing their replications. Kelly went on to say, man looks at his world through transparent patterns or templates, which he creates and then attempts to fit over the realities of which the world is composed. The fit is not always very good. Yet without such patterns, the world appears to be such an undifferentiated homogeneity that man is unable to make any sense out of it. Even a poor fit is more helpful to him than nothing at all. Let us give the name constructs to these patterns that are tentatively tried on for size. They are ways of construing the world. They're what enables man and lower animals too to chart a course of behaviour, explicitly formulated or implicitly acted out, verbally expressed or utterly inarticulate, consistent with other courses of behaviour or inconsistent with them, intellectually reasoned or vegetatively sensed. By construing, we mean placing an interpretation. A person places an interpretation on what is construed. He erects a structure within the framework of which the substance takes shape or assumes meaning. The substance which he construes does not produce a structure. The person does. So Kelly accepts that there is a reality. And then what we make of that reality is entirely personal. So what I would experience in a situation may not be the same as what you would experience. The way we interpret our experiences will lead to further interpretations when we next come across that experience. Francella and Dalton say something very important in their book, Personal Construct Counselling in Action. I'll put the reference in the show notes. They say all constructs have opposites. First, a word about the meaning of the term construct. While construing is the term used for describing the process of predicting and thereby making sense of our personal world, Construct is the term used for the precise basis on which that prediction is made. It is similar in that both terms involve the abstracting of similarities between items. However, the term construct differs from the notion of a concept in two major senses. It involves the idea of personal action. It has prediction embedded in it. And constructs are dichotomous. They go on to say, all construing and thereby constructs, is bipolar, and constructs have two poles. 
It is through an organised system of bipolar construct developed over our lifetime that we gaze at our personal world and which gives it personal meaning. So a construct is personal and a construct will include both what something is and what something isn't. What we're getting when we talk to people is one of the poles of the construct, the emergent pole. So that's the thing that first comes to their mind. So if they saw a square thing in a room about waist height with four legs, they would probably construe that as a table. And it's a table rather than something else. So it's not a car. It's not a doll. It's not a television. So there's something about the construing that that is about what something is and what something isn't. So we're making a choice. And what Kelly was talking about is making a choice between the two poles of the construct. In order to make a choice, we have some awareness of it, of at least one of those poles. We don't always, though, have full awareness of what the opposite pole might be. They go on to say... One of the important aspects of seeing all human construing as oppositional is that when we predict something will be or will happen, we also predict that certain other things will not be or will not happen. We will all probably expect that a tree will bear leaves and have branches and that it will not, for example, pick up its trunk and walk. Likewise. We may expect an elephant to have a trunk and also expect that it will not sprout leaves and branches and take root. Construing goes beyond dictionary definitions. It is more than the words. Very often it is in the opposites that the truly personal meaning of construing becomes evident. At this level, construing is individual and personal. For example, two people might find it useful in giving meaning to events to use the construct friend. However, for one person, the opposite of friend is an acquaintance, whereas for the other, the opposite is an enemy. It seems likely that quite different behaviours would be expected from these two people when confronted with someone placed at the opposite pole to friend. The bipolarity of a person's construing is not always too clearly understandable. They also say, taken in a global sense, the PCP counsellor may, may well find it useful to ask the question, what is my client not doing by what she is doing? The possible answers are often very enlightening and contribute to a more comprehensive understanding of the client. They remind us that construing does not just go on in the head. We are construing, making sense of our world, at some level of awareness, whether we are doing mental arithmetic, meditating or performing acrobatics. This may seem to be labouring the point, but there is a growing erroneous belief that personal construct theory is only about what we think. It is, of course, about how we think and what we experience. So what we're construing is our own version of our experience and only our own version. But we can construe another person's constructs. Think back to the sociality corollary and we've talked about that in the past. I think it's important to remember that what Kelly said about being credulous is absolutely crucial here. So what he said is the personal construct psychologist 
and you can insert any other profession there, starts by taking what he sees and hears at face value. He even takes at face value what he sees and hears about his subject's constructions. From the standpoint of personal constructs, the statement of the client is, by definition, a true formulation of the problem. However, it is not the only true formulation, for there are levels of formulation, and the client's level of formulation may not be the most fruitful one, nor the only one. And thinking about that, it wouldn't necessarily be the only formulation of an experience. So if two people are going to the cinema, you're going to have two different experiences of watching the film. I always think it's quite interesting that people write reviews. So over time, you come to trust reviews of either books or films or anything else. And I guess that the person that you trust is the person whose construing is not too far from your own. And you test that out. So you read the review of the film, you go to see the film, and then you think about whether that was uh, a review that helped you to anticipate the film. If it turns out that the review was nothing like the film you experienced it has, you won't want to read that person again, probably. However, if the reviewer and you see to, seem to see the film in quite a similar way and notice all the highs and lows in the same way and you know what they're trying to do, then you might want to read that every single time you think of going to the cinema. However, if your experience at the cinema is very similar to the experience of the reviewer, then you're likely to read those reviews again. There's something about the, your construing and that reviewer's construing that fits together quite well. Over my lifetime, I've had some difficulty with things like the, the classics in literature. Sometimes I've tried to read them and I've thought, this is utterly boring. I just don't like it. You know, I wonder about how it came to be a classic. And sometimes I think it may have been a classic because there weren't so many books around. Um, so people might have had fewer choices or things to compare it with. Sometimes I'll read one and think, you know, everybody's right. This is a brilliant book. Uh, and when it comes to the Booker Prize and, you know, the Women's Fiction Prize, I'm always curious about why they chose the one that they chose. It'd be the same for anything, you know, a prize for um, an architect who's designed a building. I don't necessarily agree with the choices. I went to um, an art exhibition recently uh, and it was an exhibition by, I think it's called the Royal Society of Portrait Artists, something like that. And I just thought the one they chose to win shouldn't have won. There were what I saw as far better pictures that could have won that prize. But I think I don't know enough about art, maybe, to know what is a good picture in that kind of sense. You know, it's a real higher level of construing. I think a good picture is either something that looks really like what it's meant to be or makes me think, but there's something recognisable in it. So my construing is very different, probably, from the prize givers, I think. So our constructs are not only verbal. They can be pre-verbal or non-verbal as well. I think there's something quite helpful in terms of an explanation in A Psychology for Living, which is written by Dalton and Dunnett. Again, it's another older book, but it's a good intro to PCP, I think. So what they say is high level constructs are by definition verbal because they have labels and can be thought about and communicated socially. 
Low-level constructs are generally non-verbal, but may be verbalizable as they are discovered in therapy, for example. Pre-verbal constructs are those developed before speech occurred and are deep-seated constructs acquired from the very earliest experiments carried out as a baby and are usually connected to love, warmth, feeding and so forth. They go on to say, for many people, pre-verbal constructs are incorporated into the construct system as it develops during childhood, adolescence and adulthood and may cause no difficulties at all. For others, the negative experiences from that time may remain with us, causing increasing difficulties, especially in relationships, without our being able to get hold of exactly what is happening. Now this might pose some difficulty for us in terms of eliciting people's constructs. So if we want to know how people are construing an experience, we would ask them. But maybe they haven't turned it into words. Maybe it's a construct they developed as a very young child before their language was developed and they've never had cause to turn it into words. Maybe it's a non-verbal construct and something which we don't normally bother to turn into words. So if you think of something like fastening a zip, people teach us how to fasten a zip. If you had a a written explanation of how to fasten a, a zip or somebody read something out as instructions, It would be a nightmare. I'm sure you couldn't follow it. Well, at least I couldn't. But if you have someone show you how to fasten a zip and do it non-verbally, you're more likely to be able to do it. So our non-verbal constructs are just as important as our verbal constructs. They're just different. So some of our non-verbal construing might be about how we're feeling, what we're doing, what we're touching, our sensations. And for some people, those can cause them a lot of distress. Uh, Sometimes they're absolute delight. You know, I'm an ice cream fan. So having a lovely ice cream is a great thing as far as I'm concerned. It's definitely a nonverbal experience. But for somebody else, their recollection of, say, the smell of alcohol and someone's breath could be a terrifying thing. It could be connected with them being a, a very young child and powerless to stop themselves being beaten. But just as with all constructs, we don't necessarily have full awareness of what the contrast pole is. And sometimes there may not quite be a contrast pole. It might be quite nebulous. So if somebody has always grown up with violent, alcoholic family, they don't maybe have the constructs they need if they move into foster care and people start treating them properly. They might find that very confusing. We were foster carers at one point in our lives and we fostered a boy who was nine and a half and he had had uh, a failed adoption. One of the reasons the adoption failed was his connection to the children's home he was living in Um, and he had been in care many times before that. So he lived in the children's home and got used to the place. It wasn't nice at all um, because we fostered him from that children's home. There is no way I would let my children go and live there awful however he had a connection to it because it was better than what he had had before and one of the things that really tipped the uh, potential adopters over the edge they were having difficulties with him anyway because his behavior was difficult but they took him to the town where the children's home was and he got out of the car and he said it smelt of the children's home and he was happy and i think they found that extremely difficult Now, you would wonder, how can a town smell of a children's home? But there was something about that 
that was his connection that was really, really important to him. You know, nowadays, I think people would have more help to deal with a child saying such things. Uh, but they felt really offended because they tried to give him a very nice home um, outside the town um, and were looking after him very well. So if we're trying to explore people's nonverbal and preverbal constructs, we need to be cautious because they may find it very difficult to put it into words. And we may be asking them to tell us about it. For instance, you might be asking somebody to talk about their construing of family life uh, and they haven't been able to do that, which is why they've come for help. Um, so we have to have lots of different ways of eliciting constructs. And I think that's really important to remember that we don't use the same tools in PCP for every person. We use whatever suits us for that situation with the person that we're seeing. And that seems like it might offer us a way of helping them to tell us about their problem or about their experiences. And I really like that about PCP, that there is no set of tools that you must use. Um, so it doesn't suit everybody. For the people who prefer to have a very firmly defined process, then PCP might feel very uncomfortable. However, people are individuals, so we need to have some individual ways of eliciting constructs. If you'd like to read about one that is fabulous, I can refer you to uh, A Drawing at Its Opposite, which is a chapter by Tom Ravenet, of course. Um, where he actually uses the most simple method to try and elicit construct. He has some lovely techniques. And I think one of the reasons that Tom is still so popular as a practitioner um, is that he has lots of ways of eliciting constructs and thinking about what comes up and what you can do next with them. So if you'd like something which will make you think, wow, that's a really clever idea. Um, I would really recommend this. It's in the one book of his collected papers, and I'll put the reference in the show notes. Sometimes people get confused between what is an element and what is a construct. Uh, and they might have come across the word element if they've used grids or heard of grids in a research methods seminar or something like that. Basically, an element is something you construe. Okay, so what Kelly said is the things or events which are abstracted by a construct are called elements, whereas constructs are the channels in which one's mental processes run. They are two-way streets along which one may travel to reach conclusions. They make it possible to anticipate the changing tides of events. Forming constructs may be considered as binding sets of events into convenient bundles which are handy for the person who has to lug them. Events, when so bound, tend to become predictable, manageable and controlled. He goes on to say, One way to think of the construct is as a pathway of movement. One may say, therefore, that the system of constructs which one establishes for oneself represents the network of pathways along which one is free to move. Each pathway is a two-way street. A person can move either up or down street, but he cannot strike out across country without building new conceptual routes to follow. Whether he goes up or down a particular street is a matter of choice. So remember that the choice corollary 
is a person chooses for himself that alternative in a dichotomized construct through which he anticipates the greater possibility for extension and definition of his system. It's unfortunate that he always says his, but that was how they did things at the time. We'll choose the pole of the construct that makes the most sense to us and we'll apply it and see how well it fits. What we'll be saying is this is what this thing is and therefore it isn't something else. Uh, so a construct is applied to an element. Remember that all this is to do with helping people who have become stuck somehow in their lives. Generally, I think people will come for help because they've reached a point where either they're uncomfortable that something is happening or isn't happening. Because we are construing, rather than what is happening to us is a sort of fixed reality, it is possible to change things. So it's possible to experience a situation, construe it in one way, experience it again and alter that construction. Now you know that that happens when you do something like try some food for the first time. So I can remember as a child trying spaghetti bolognese and that was in the kind of 19, early 1970s. Um, I found it the most strange experience and quite disgusting. Now I absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> but at the time I was horrified by it. Uh, you know, I was used to having meat and two veg kind of dinner and there was this stuff on the plate that looked nothing like dinner as far as I construed it and I was supposed to eat it. And despite liking every ingredient that was in it, I had to learn to like it. So I ate it. The first time, actually, I didn't eat it. I fed it to the dog under the table. The second time, I ate it. The third time, I could tolerate it. The fourth time I started to like it and then we were OK. Um, and I had a similar experience at, when I went to guide camp. I was about 12 um, and we were packing all the stuff ready for the camp. And what I saw was that we were taking a lot of rice pudding, these enormous tins of rice pudding. And I'd found that quite disgusting, too. I thought it was like a dish of maggots in milk. So I was dreading having to eat that. So I asked my mum if we could have it at home. And she made great rice pudding, but I didn't know because I would never eat it until then. Um, anyway, we went on the camp and by then I had got used to rice pudding and quite liked it. And ever after, I have loved it. So, you know, we can change how we construe something by having more experiences of it. And each time we go into the situation again, it is the experience that builds on the experience we had. So it, perhaps our last one. Um, you can see when people are learning something, it's very obvious. But that also happens with other experiences. And remember, some of those experiences are going to be nonverbal experiences. So learning, say, how to trot on a horse. Someone can tell you, but you have to feel it. I am not a horse rider, so I don't really feel it very well. But I've had a go. Uh, I found it quite scary. <laughs> As I got older, I found it scary anyway, because I realised how what awful damage you could do if you fell off. But, you know, to be on a horse and have that feeling and feel that the horse is trotting, the next time you go, you can have another experience which builds on that last one and you can understand it better. I think it's always 
useful to be learning new skills from that point of view. It reminds us that we can reconstruct and that we can learn to persist with things that are quite difficult. And also we can learn a kind of language that's related to those experiences. So I've learned to knit and I am better now at understanding what knitting means in terms of reading a pattern. When I first read a pattern, I had no idea what it was talking about because I really didn't have enough constructs. I only knew that there was wool and knitting needles, and that was about the level I was beginning at. Even though I'd had a go when I was a child, I didn't have a, a level of understanding of knitting that allowed me to do very much at all. Uh, so I am better at it now, and I could show you if you could see me, because I'll be wearing my cardigan that I knitted myself, and you can tell I'm quite proud of that. But it, it's made me very conscious of my construing developing so there were some there are some parts of knitting I no longer need to pay much attention to. Same experience as driving a car, that some things are so automatic that you no longer have to pay particular attention to them, but you're still construing them. You're still construing how much pressure to put on the brake pedal. You're doing it, it's a non-verbal construing, and it's happening without you having to do much about it. And you're not aware at that moment of pressing the brake pedal of, you know, not braking, what that would be like. You're not even thinking about that. You're just focused on one pole of the construct. Of, and you're thinking about the, the grades between braking and carrying on. So obviously that could be fairly dangerous if you're in a situation where you should be braking. But it happens so quickly. So, you know, our constructs are... Things we've designed to get us through life efficiently so that we can carry on with our day and we don't have to keep thinking about how we construe things. And gradually we build this enormous bank of constructs that we can apply sometimes flexibly, sometimes not, but we can apply them. And for many of them, we could name them if someone helps us to elicit them. So an element can be anything at all. It's useful to know what an element is because you might want to think, OK, I'm going to have a few elements here and we'll see what the construing is. And that's what happens in a grid where you are eliciting constructs related to an array of elements. So let's say we want to explore how somebody relates to people at work and what they make of themselves at work. So we start off by saying, OK, can you tell me five people at work who are important in some way? So it could be a manager, could be somebody you like, somebody you really dislike, could be a very close colleague. It could be somebody that you think does a great job. You need to have some variation within that set. And then you have two other elements, which is self and ideal self. And then you can look at that construct of lazy and say, OK, what's the contrast? Oh, it's staying till 10 o'clock at night. Hmm. Where would you put each of these people on that line? So that's what we're trying to explore. But instead, we go about it by saying, OK, so which one of these these people is the most lazy? And you put that next to lazy. Which one of these people is the most likely to stay till 10 at night? That goes at the other end. Which one of these people is the most lazy of the ones that are left? And then which one is the most likely to stay till 10 at night? And what you end up with is an array that 
is in rank order. Uh, and that will include the self and ideal self. So we've got an idea of how people see themselves from their constructs and using those elements. And what might happen is they say, I'm really lazy, but actually I'd like to go home about six-ish. I don't want to go home at 10 at night. Um, so they place the ideal self towards that end, but not all the way there. Then you might want to explore with them. OK, so what's that like? So if you changed and you became somebody who went home at six o'clock instead of five, what knock on effect would that have in the way either you see yourself or other people see you? And they might say, oh, well, my partner would be furious because they would have to pick the kids up from the childminder. Um, and that isn't really going to work. Or they might say, well, if I do that, I might be seen as somebody who's creeping to the boss or whatever. You don't know what they're going to say. But it, it's a way of starting those conversations so you can use different sets of elements to explore different things. If you wanted to know more about that person within their family, you'd want family members as elements. So the choice of elements actually does matter. You will get construing in relation to the elements that you pick. So you have to be careful about your choice uh, if you want to do something like that. And one of the things that uh, I've been working on a, over the last mm, year and a half, trying to make it this visual guide to PCP. So if you're on my mailing list and you open your email, you will find that you've had an email saying, OK, you can have this book. Um, what I did was take some of these kind of issues and try and make an illustration that could go with them and pull out quotes from Kelly uh, and then a bit of sort of explanation from my own point of view. Obviously, it can be wrong because it's my point of view. That's OK. It's it's a shot at it. But I did it because when I was doing my training in PCP, I found it quite difficult to remember some of the terms. And I've already said I had no idea what a corollary was at the beginning. So the way people spoke was quite alien at times. So I thought I'd better learn these things quickly. So I tried to learn them, but I only wrote, you know, Kelly's definitions. And what I'd always wanted was uh, some visual stuff to help me fix it more in my mind, because I can do that better if I've got a picture. So what I've tried to do is pull out Kelly's quotes and then make illustrations that go with it that hopefully help it stick in your head. So it's available as an ebook. It will always be free because it has way too many quotes from Kelly um, to be saleable. So you are allowed to do that for education purposes only. So the idea is just to make it a bit easier for people, really. So I'm going now to add that book to my website um, as a free download. But you can only get it as an ebook because it has to be clickable. You really need to be able to use it properly as a reference book and go from place to place very, very easily. Otherwise, it won't be useful to anybody. So if you are on the mailing list, you might have had it and not opened it. Uh, it'll have a link to a place called Book Funnel, which is where you download things from. And you can choose which format you want it in. It should work on everything, every device that you can imagine. So you can keep it on your phone or you can put it on your iPad or you can have it on a computer. You can have a PC or a Mac or you can just download the PDF. The PDF, of course, doesn't have clickable links. So if you want to be able to zoom through it and find the section you really want to check, you're not going to be able to do that from the PDF. 
Also, if you have the PDF version, you don't get colour in the pictures. I think it's to reduce the file size, actually. OK, so there we are. So if you're interested in getting that, you can get it. And have a think about elements and constructs. There is a chapter on elements and constructs in that book that you can go back to. And there's also lots of quotes in there that might help you to get a handle on it. OK, so. I will see you again at the end of July. Feels a bit weird saying that. Right, going past the middle of summer. I don't like the idea of it. But I will see you at the end of July. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. <laughs>